Before we open God's word, let's turn to him in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, so thankful we are to have this time set aside now to open thy word, to read in its pages, to be refreshed, to delight ourselves in thy presence. Dear Lord, we come by Jesus Christ. We come on the basis of his sacrifice, the, the merit that he brings. We're so thankful for him, what he has done, his life, his testimony of a sinless life and a perfect sacrifice. And now that he is seated on thy right hand, dear Father, we can come with boldness and with confidence into thy very presence even now. We can approach the throne of grace. We can cry, Abba, Father, because we just we know how much has been done for us. Dear Father, this morning hour, help us to look to him by the, the Holy Spirit, through the, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, for everything that we need, for all things that pertain to life and godliness, so that we would be built up, that we would not just say empty words or hear empty words, but we would take in uh, what is living, what builds the inner man. Dear Lord, help us. We pray for our loved ones. We pray for those that couldn't be here, and we ask that thou wouldst bless them too in a special way. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please turn with me to the last chapter in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Hebrews 13. I'd like to begin at the beginning of the chapter. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, 
that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in few words. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he come shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. I read to the end of the epistle. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's kneel together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before thee in this morning hour in quietness and peace, knowing that in other parts of the world there is chaos and bloodshed and difficulty, and thy people perhaps are at this very moment suffering. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we're not worthy of all the blessings that thou hast bestowed upon us. We're not worthy of thy goodness toward us, and we're often forgetful, and sometimes we even complain and grumble. But Heavenly Father, when we consider the great care that thou hast bestowed upon us, the gift, the unspeakable gift of thy Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for all of us, we realize that thy name indeed is love. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this passage of Scripture that we've read together this morning. The, the care that Thou hast bestowed upon Thy church, that these words should be written and preserved for us as well, that we would be reminded of what is good for us and what will lead to a life of godliness and contentment here below and is already a, a foretaste of heaven. Lord God, help us to remember these things that we'd not become high-minded or, or forgetful of, of all of thy provision for us, and that even as we've been instructed in thy word to, 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 to carefully consider that the, the safeguards that thou hast put in place, those that thou hast placed over us in authority, are for our good. 
Heavenly Father, help us to remember these things in the days and weeks ahead. We want to pray now also for those that could not gather with us. We're mindful of our sister Christine, who's currently in hospital. We're thankful to hear that she's doing better and will soon be released uh, uh, from, from hospital, dear Lord. Please be with her and strengthen her according to thy will. We're mindful also of those with chronic conditions and those that are struggling with issues of health, those that have uh, sorrow in their heart over lost loved ones and those that have recently laid to rest the earthly remains of, of, of dear ones as well, dear Lord. We know that thou art the God of all comfort and thou canst provide for every need. Thou hast an answer for every human ill and pain. And the answers are found in thy Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be with us now as we would look together into thy word. Be with our brother as he would divide it unto us and grant him words through the power of thy spirit that are what we need to hear this morning, that we would glorify thee. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 13 of Hebrews, the last chapter, is a little different than the rest of the book. You read through Hebrews, there's these carefully constructed arguments uh, um, that the writer presents about Christ and, and his, his supremacy and how the Old Testament points to him. And it goes, you know, chapter by chapter thematically as he systematically develops his theme. But chapter 13 seems almost like, you know, at first glance, as you, it's like as you're going out the door, someone says, oh, and remember this, and, and remember this, and, and Put this in your pocket as well. It feels a little bit like your pockets are bulging as you read this, this chapter. All these things to remember, these final things. But God's word is not random. It's not uh, just a, a grab bag of things. Each one of these things, each one of these verses are um, valuable on their own and connected together. They're uh, it's like if you were to take those things out of your pocket and then start to assemble them and put them together and then they form something useful and they, they all point towards something. And this chapter kind of, to me, as I, last night I was thinking about it, kind of summed up the, the brothers' meeting to me, all those different elements from the brothers' meeting. I mean, it wasn't meditated upon at the brothers' meeting, but the different things that we heard yesterday, they kind of come back here and... and, and and tie in. So I think that's maybe why the Lord um, directed me to this passage. But maybe to help us um, understand or uh, assemble these individual disparate parts of this, uh, this chapter, I'd like to focus maybe just first for a while on those first, not the first, but the, the verses maybe 8 through 16, where briefly you know, in, in the, in the, after these single instructions that are given, the writer turns back to kind of the, the same tenor as the previous part of, a, of the previous epistle, where he's going to these Old Testament themes again and drawing out of them and pointing to Christ. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And, and really, I guess in this passage from 8 to 16, what really catches my eye is this verse 13. 
Maybe, maybe that's how we, we can understand and assemble this, this chapter together. And that verse 13 is, Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. What does it mean to go unto him without the camp and to bear his reproach? Let's think about the Old Testament again, the sacrificial system that was... Um, that they were instructed in the law to keep. Here in verse 10, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. So typically most of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, or except for the burnt offering, were eaten. So the, 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 the blood was sprinkled, the fat maybe was burned as, a, as an offering, but the meat itself was eaten by the priests and by the offerers, the ones who brought the sacrifice. And this was the typical. The burnt offering, of course, was wholly burned on the altar that was there, in one of the altars in the, in the tabernacle, if I have my Old Testament knowledge correct. And Paul makes a note of this. He says, those that eat the sacrifice, they're, they're partakers, they're associated with the altar. He notes that in 1 Corinthians where he says, he's, when he's instructing the, the Corinthian church, be careful, you know, the things that you eat, if you know that it was sacrificed to an idol, don't partake of it because you're associated with that idol by partaking of it. He gives them some practical instructions so they don't get all caught up in this whole dietary thing. He says, if you buy something in the marketplace, don't ask any questions, just go ahead and eat it because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He made everything. You can eat it all freely in a good conscience. But if someone says to you, this meat was offered to idols, don't eat it. Because by eating it, you're associated, you're tied with this whole thing. Just like in the Old Testament, the priests and those who brought the sacrifice, they were now associated with the altar. It was their means of communication with, with God, of appeasement, of of. of, of um, propitiation. He says here in verse 10, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Christians have an altar. And those that are still involved in the old system, those that are still serving the tabernacle, they don't have any right to eat of it. You know, this comes after him saying, you know what, you don't, you don't need to be entangled or, or, or um, focused on meats, on, on the physical, on the this or the that or the what or the, but you need to be established or focused on and have your life rooted in grace. And this is what we heard yesterday too, that we need to be rooted in, and, and established in the faith, rooted in him, that really the, 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 the bedrock, the, the, the stuff of our daily thoughts isn't to be focused on the, the, um, the touch not, taste not, handle not, this, that, the other, but to be focused on Jesus Christ who then leads us to, to withdraw from something if it's not of him or to do something if it's his will. He is the basis. He's the, he's the one that we need to be established with out of which all of the the living, the stuff of living, how we decide what we're going to do is going to, going to come. We, we, we dare not put the cart before the horse, as was happening with these Hebrew believers. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. 
There's a difference. There's a, there's, there is a, a division now between what was in the Old Testament and, and them coming out of it. So in some sense, the Hebrew believers were, saying, were being told to come out of the camp, come out of that old system that is being done away with. But then he further says, and, and this is now something different and something special, in verse 11, there is a sacrifice that is not eaten in the Old Testament, that is not burned on the altar in the Old Testament. And he says, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. And what he's referring to here is the sacrifice of the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, where this, on this one day a year, the high priest is to take a, a sacrifice of bullock, he's to take two goats, cast lots over them, and the one goat is to be sacrificed, and the other goat is to be let go in the wilderness as the scapegoat. But he's to take the blood of the bullock and that one goat, sprinkle it within the Holy of Holies, the one time that he enters into the Holy of Holies, Hebrews chapter 9, sprinkle the mercy seat. That was supposed to be wreathed in incense so that he could barely see it. Sprinkle that mercy seat and then take the bodies of those beasts, that, that bullock and that goat, and burn them without the camp. This is something different. What's being pointed to here? I think what's signified by this out without the camp is God's treatment of sin. First of all, the abhorrence of it and his removal of it from his people. But of course, all of this really ultimately points to Jesus Christ and him having to go without the camp, without the gate, in order to be that ultimate and perfect sacrifice for sin. Verse 12, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Jesus physically did. He was outside the gates of Jerusalem on the hill of Golgotha when he was, he was crucified. But even more significantly than the physical aspect of that was he was without the gate, without the camp of, of, of all of humanity, rejected by all of mankind, the only one reviled, rejected, pushed away by all of humanity, each one of us in our own way, by our sin, by our, our rejection of him, we pushed him without the gate. And that was as it had to be. There was no one, as he performed that sacrifice for sin, that act, that one act that brings together man and God, there, there could be no one that would stand with him. He was that one figure without, outside. As it were, that one goat wandering in the wilderness that the, the Israelites were instructed to take that goat by one man, take him out, a fit man to take him out in the wilderness and leave him there. He was that one lone individual. So when we are told to go without the camp and bear his reproach, it doesn't mean that we are now to in some way uh, propitiate our own sins or um, Add to Christ's sacrifice. No, that's not what the apostle mean when when he when he says, 
Let us therefore go unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. It means to follow him, basically. To leave this world system, to leave what is the old, what you're used to, what you thought was sufficient, what you thought was enough for your life. To leave that and to follow him. And how that looks like to every one of us, I think it's going to be different. It's going to be same in some ways. It's going to be different, but the, the, the theme, the common theme is going to be clinging to Christ and rejecting what this world has, what it's offering as its means of, 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 of life. You know, there must have been a, a sense of comfort to those, those Jews as they did those sacrifices year by year, a sense of this is the way it is, this is, this is right. And there must have been a leap, a gap there to cling to Christ. And you, my friend, outside of Christ, there is a gap, there is a leap there too. There is a, a leaving of things that are comfortable and known to go unto Jesus outside the camp. And I think that continues, that process continues for each one of us as we follow Jesus Christ. It, it's not, um, we just get to a certain state of, okay, now life is comfortable. It's the way I like it in the, in the sense of my flesh. You know, I, I was converted, I was baptized, I'm, I'm a Christian now, and now I can arrange my life the way I want it. There is a continual going without the camp and bearing his reproach as we associate with Jesus Christ. The, the other thing that the, the writer says here in verse 15 is also interesting, is that not only is Jesus Christ our one-time-for-all sacrifice, this, this, this means by which we are made holy and sanctified, he is the means now. He is the altar now by which we offer sacrifices and praises to God. By him, he says here in verse 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So it's not, oh, now I'm with Christ and things are really dark and really dim. It's, on the basis of what he's done, I'm able to praise him <clears throat> and honor him and glorify him and, 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 and rejoice in him. This is such a, a curious mixture. It is such a paradox. And I had to think back to that final night that Jesus had with his disciples. It is that same mixture that same curious paradox of difficulty and joy that is the hallmark of Christian life. He warns them in chapter 15. He says, <clears throat> verse 18, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. 
If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. He's telling his disciples, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to come without the camp with me. You're going to bear my reproach. Because this world hates Jesus Christ, hates what he stands for. And, and that hatred, it's inexplicable. As he says here, but this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. It's an inexplicable hatred that can be pinned on various philosophies. This world, well, we reject Christianity because of this and this and this, but at the bottom, it's an inexplicable, un... a hatred that, that, that has no other cause than, than pride and rejection of lordship. That's what it is. I don't think we need to try to find too many other reasons. They hated me without a cause, as Jesus said, in the face of such great love. So this is the mixture of that following Jesus Christ, and yet at that same night, that same, around that same table, Jesus offers such sweet prayers of oneness and unity and joy. You read chapter 17, his, his final high priestly prayer. What um, oneness, what unity, what, what a vision of, of um, all that God designed us to be. <laughs> that we could enter into the Godhead through Jesus Christ. We could become one with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, that is the joy of the Christian. This is the mix. You know, on the outside there's chaos and... and, and uh, and the approbation of others, but inside there is joy and there is delight and there is peace. And maybe if we are not tasting that mix, that paradox, either on both sides, the rejection of this world or the joy, the Lord is calling us to go deeper, to actually come out of the camp, to go unto him to be identified with him and bear his reproach. So back to, to chapter 13 here in verse 15 where he says, Jesus is the altar by which we offer this sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But then he adds ever practically in this next verse here, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. Let's not just think it's all about what we say with our lips, with those sacrifices of our lips, have to be attached the good works and the doing of God's pleasure. And this, I think, is how I understand now chapter 13 and all of these disparate, these separate little commands is that these doing good and, and communicate or sharing is the sacrifice of praise, is, the, is part of how we go out of the camp, away from this world system, unto him. Think about it. Go back to verse 1 now, this chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. How does the world know that we are his disciples? By the love that we have 
one to another as his disciples. And that is an otherworldliness. It's a, it's, a, it's a love that's not seen in this world. That's why it's distinctive and a mark of the Christian. Part of being outside the camp, going into Jesus Christ. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. This love doesn't just stay within the brotherhood. It goes beyond to a stranger, to those we don't know really where they're from, and, but we're willing to extend love and to be gracious unto them. And to those that are not even in our presence, but are suffering. Verse 3, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. The ones that this world will push down, maybe imprison, difficult, mistreat, abuse. It's another way that we go without the camp unto him by remembering them, by ministering to them, by serving them. Here, verse 4. This one is a definite going out unto him without the camp. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. The sanctity of marriage, this world does not anymore honor, regard. It redefines it, it changes it around by holding up godly marriage in our marriages and by what we teach, what we profess. That's a way of going without the camp, too, of bearing his reproach, especially in this day. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Here's how we go without the camp. We're not greedy and uh, wanting more and, and materialistic like what we're told in this world is the way to go. We should be living lives that actually go without the camp, materially, too, that are not looking just like this world. And how that looks to each one is going to be different because God has given to each one, as, as he says in First Timothy, you know, those that are rich in this world, let them be rich in good works. Be content with such things as ye have. And the basis of that is, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And I've read that in the Greek, there's actually five negatives in this phrase. It's like, he will never, no, never leave you, never. <laughs> Something like that. This is the basis of contentment. This is the basis of security. This is the basis of, of just a calm in a, in a chaotic world that just says, you need this, or this is not enough, or you need something more, a new experience. I have Jesus Christ. He said he will never leave me. And this is the basis then, verse 6, that you can turn and face the world and say, I will not fear what man shall do to me. The Lord is my helper. I'm not afraid, world, what you're going to throw at me or at my family or at the ones I love. I am not afraid because Jesus will never leave me. I've gone unto him without the camp. Even this verse 7 and verse 17. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. This is also a means of going without the camp. The world would say, why do you need to submit to these people? 
they're not your bosses. They don't pay you anything. Why do you need to submit to church authority in the church? Well, there's a whole spiritual dimension here that the world does not see. They just don't see it. They don't see the whole picture, that there is a journey, there is a life, uh, um, an eternal and everlasting life, and there are people that are watching over my souls that actually care for me and want me to make a blessed end. And they're doing it not for pay, not for uh, honor, but because they love the Lord Jesus. And that is a good place to be under that kind of authority, isn't it? People that really care for my soul, care for the, the most important part of me, not my physical or my uh, necessarily or my wealth or whatever, my portfolio. That's a means of going without the camp too. And I'm willing to submit to that and to honor that, that the, the authority that God has placed in the church. That was what I was reminded of yesterday too, to see these brothers as they shared we got a little bit of an idea of the burdens and, and the way that they um, share with each other. I had to think back to these verses. <clears throat> Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. This is not just even for you, it's for them too. One day they will stand before the judge of all the earth and have to answer for how they have built this labored to build upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. So, going unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach, may seem like a heavy thing, but really the reminder here is in verse 14 that there's nothing permanent where you came from anyway. For here we have no continuing city. All the things that, that, that would pull you back, that you'd like to, to sit back in, whether it's out and out worldly or just your own personal little worldliness that surrounds you, your own little bubble, that's going to fade. It's going to pass. It's going gonna, it's gonna to vanish into nothing. It's going to be worthless. It's going to be a detriment, actually, one day, if you are resting on it if you're dwelling in it, in that Sodom and that Gomorrah, it's going to be burnt with a, with a brimstone from heaven. You need to go without the camp because you have a city to come. There is a dwelling place. Jesus told his, his disciples, my, I go to my Father. My Father has mansions for you. Maybe I'll conclude with this, the last verses 20 and 21, this last blessing that he prays. I guess it is a prayer, really. And that was another thing we were told yesterday, is that we should study the prayers in the Bible to get our heart set, calibrated to the right setting. This prayer, this blessing, this benediction that he prays over the believers, and that includes you and me brother and sister. Verse 20 and 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, 
make you perfect in every good work to do his will. And this perfect here is not the completeness perfect, it's the well-equipped perfect. Uh, it's, the, it's the you have what you need to do his will through Jesus Christ, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. All those things we've read in this chapter, all those individual things that you thought maybe I stuffed in my pockets and what am I, how am I going to use this and that, all of these things are God's means to equip you, to make you perfect in every good work to do his will. As he works in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, how blessed this day is that we can gather together to hear thy word, to be encouraged, Lord, to serve thee, to place our lives in thy hands, place our souls in thy guidance, and despite what we go through every day, despite the challenges we face, Lord, our desire, our greatest heart's desire is to serve thee. And Lord, when we have that passion in our hearts, we have that passion in our souls, Lord, we never will go astray. Lord, you have done so much for us, and yet we deserve nothing. And yet, you have blessed us with this word to uplift us in this day, to guide us and show us that our lives are to be to serve thee, to give you all of us for everything here upon this earth is temper, is just uh, temporary. But yet, Lord, you continue to bless us in ways we never conceive. For, Lord, you are the God of yesterday, today, and forever. Heavenly Father, we pray for many of those who have gone traveling to other churches or gone to other places. We pray that you would give them a safe journey back. That, Lord, you would bless their their stay and bless their lives and those who couldn't even make it today, those in hospitals or in sick beds or at home not feeling well, we pray that you would also work in them, not just spiritually, but also physically. And Lord, we pray that you would work in us, for we all have this condition, this condition called sin. Yet you, when you rule in us, Lord, we are able to overcome that sin with thy love and thy grace and thy power. For we pray all of this in thy precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brother, please choose a closing hymn. Hymn number 176, verses 1, 2, and 5. I don't have much to add to what was already said. 
the instructions, I think, were pretty clear. And if we're honest, if we truly believe this word, we'll realize they're for our benefit. They're not a nice to have. There was one verse that stood out to me and it was meditated on, but I'd like you to think about it a little bit more, maybe from a slightly different angle. Verse 10 says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. It's interesting that the writer of Hebrews, uh, many believe it was the Apostle Paul, that seems to fit with, with what I would, what I see in the style of the writing. But it's interesting, the choice of words. They which serve the tabernacle. The tabernacle was long gone. They had the temple, that glorious building made with huge stones, of which the disciples said, look at these stones here. What manner of building is this? Even today, the, the temple mount, the retaining wall that goes around it, and the, the space of it, it still exists all these thousands of years later. But the writer of Hebrews calls it a tabernacle, a temporary dwelling. It didn't look temporary at the time. It looked like a really solid building, something just absolutely monumental. It's a matter of perspective. When we look at our own lives and the things that we devote our energy and time to, it often looks pretty permanent pretty solid. But the fact is, it's just a tabernacle. It's only temporary. And though we may build something that endures way beyond when we're gone, the reality is, for us, it's temporary. Even the pharaohs that built the pyramids, they still exist to this day, but the pharaohs, they're gone. And they couldn't take any of that stuff with them anyway. They filled their tombs with treasures that were supposed to help them in the afterlife, but the treasures are still there. Didn't do them any good. The mindset that we need to have is what was touched on this, after, this morning. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp. That's not a one-time thing. I think that's a daily thing. Paul put it another way. He said, I die daily. There was a, a continual severing, a continual leaving, and it was a day-by-day -day thing for him. The older I get, the more I realize, I think, how, what an amazing man the Apostle Paul was and, and what supermen, as it were, the disciples were, what they left the things that they went through for the cause of Christ, the reality of the faith that they possessed. Paul seems a pretty unattached man. He didn't even get married because he figured that would be a hindrance to him. What did he have to die daily from? Really, I don't know. And actually, it's not important because for each one of us, there's things that we need to leave behind, and that's what's important. Look in your own life. What do you need to leave behind? As the brother was meditating this morning, I flipped to Leviticus 16, and it was interesting to read through the instructions that were given around this sacrifice that's alluded to. 
One of the things that stood out to me is the washings that had to be done. The high priest had to wash himself after this. Even the one that was selected to take that burnt offering and finally burn it outside of the camp, he was kind of the garbageman of the scene. Take what was left and just burn it where the garbage is. He had to wash himself too. Do we let the filth of this world stay on us even though we're we figure we've, we've left this world? Does the, does the smell of the smoke of its burning still sit on us? We need to wash ourselves daily. Wash ourselves with the water of the word, we're told. Doesn't it feel good to be clean? And one of the things that <clears throat> is nice about going camping <clears throat> is when you come back home, and you have your first hot shower in a few days and get rid of that smell of smoke and sweat. And it didn't seem that bad when you were outside, but you, know, you get it back in civilization. You, you know, you can, you can smell it on your stuff. The clothes go in the wash. You go into the shower. You come out clean and feeling refreshed. You didn't realize how dirty you really were. That's why we need the washing of the water of the word. We don't see the filth that we pick up in this world the dirtiness that we pick up in this world. We need to be washed. I'm so thankful that we have the one that set the pattern for us, that we don't have to follow those Old Testament rituals anymore, but we can see it perfected in Jesus Christ. Let's look to him and follow his example. May the Lord bless what we've heard this morning. This concludes our service. Amen.